Good morning. I want to welcome you uh, to our church service at the Ringgold Seventh-day Adventist Church. And if you're watching online, for those of us who are here and maybe don't watch us too often on Facebook, just so you know, our viewership continues to increase. Uh, we tend to get anywhere between 30 and 50 uh, views every Sabbath. Uh, that's pretty good for us. Uh, we're not some major media corporation, but that is growing. We used to be in the single digits, and so praise God for that. We know that we have brothers and sisters in another continent that watch our service every time, so we can pray for our, our uh, church in Kenya uh, that we're keeping in our, in our thoughts and in our prayers, so please pray for them. We're always glad to have them. And uh, if you uh, know someone who might like to join us on Facebook, they can find us now. Uh, we'll add them as a friend. They can, they can see all of our archive sermons and so on. We are going to get into today's service, but first I want to ask, is everybody here aware of what POV means? No. We got a couple of thumbs up. For those who don't know, POV is just a shorthand for point of view. And so if you see, if you happen to come across any things that, that's POV, that means it's from that point of view. So we're going to look at the Christmas story, the birth of our Savior, from Joseph's point of view today. Before we do that, though, one more quick word of prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, again, we are, we are thankful for Christ's condescension. We are grateful that before the foundations of this earth were laid, you, you saw us and you saw the potential, you saw the possibility that with free will comes risk and the, and the need for a Savior. And so we are grateful that before this earth was shaped and formed, the plan was in place for a Messiah. And so as we reflect right now on Jesus, as we consider an aspect of that reality, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present drive our points home, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. How many of us have either gone to boarding academy or maybe have had a sibling or are a parent of someone who has gone to boarding academy? We've got a couple of hands here. I have the privilege of having my middle son, Evan, currently attending Georgia Cumberland Academy, which is our conference's boarding school. He's a freshman, so he's only coming to the end of his first semester, and he's still learning the process, if you know what I mean. It was a rough start. We're making adjustments. Uh, I am glad to say that as we're nearing December, we're finally coming around to where we hope he continues. As we were kind of considering what to do with our son as he finished the junior academy level in our schools, so eighth grade, uh, is he boarding? Is he going to stay perhaps at Collegedale Academy here in Collegedale nearby? Uh, would we consider another option? Because there, there are options, and, and all of them are good, even if they are a little different. Uh, I'm grateful that our church has a fantastic educational system, and I'm glad that I, we are blessed enough that my sons uh, mostly have been able to grow up in that system. And so we wanted Evan to, to do this. We wanted him to have this opportunity. Different than our oldest son, Evan, from a young age, about seven-ish, seven-ish, I'm getting the, the confirmation from the back, about seven, he was first introduced to boarding school idea, this concept of going away to school when we lived in Kentucky, the Kentucky-Tennessee Conference. 
oh, I want to do that. When I get old enough, I, I want to go away to school and, and not be here, and it'll be so much fun, and I can learn, and I can stay in like a little hotel room in, in, the, in the dorms and so on. I just about chalked it up to this is just a seven-year-old who's probably looking to get away from mom and dad, and you know, maybe I'll just get to play all day long and so on. Well, he'd never dropped the idea. Uh, from seven years old onward, all throughout school, he kept kind of ticking off his years and then saying, I'm that much closer to boarding school. I'm that much closer to, well, I mean, as a dad, I started to go, how bad are you wanting to get away from us? We had that conversation. I asked him. I wanted to make sure that he wasn't just trying to leave home. But no, he really had his heart set on that experience. He wanted to, to have a different type of educational experience than one normally has if they're like at home and, and kind of commuting uh, locally. I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Let's give this a try. Uh, so in, in learning about Georgia Cumberland Academy and then talking to the deans and talking to other conference officials and talking to other parents who have either gone themselves in years past or whose kids are currently there, uh, you kind of feel out. Uh, you know, there are questions that come to mind. Um, what are their expectations in terms of, like, work-school balance? Because most of our academies, you, you work a little bit. Um, what kind of quality of education are they going to have? Is this second rate, or will they be prepared for life and early adulthood and perhaps university when they come out of high school? Um, how do we handle boy-girl relationships? Because in my home, we can do certain things to a certain level, but how rampant do they run on campus? Those kinds of questions. You know, in terms of the, you know, I've got sons. I don't have any girls, so I don't, someone else is going to have to answer this question. But I wanted to know what kind of male role models my son might have. I'm certainly not perfect, but I know that as a father, I want to raise my son according to my ideals. I'd like him to see my character because I believe that's the father's role. I, I want to demonstrate that to him, and hopefully he'll adopt the good things and forgive me for the not so good. So you wanted to find out, you know, I wanted to find out about the male role models there. And so I, you know, I would ask those kinds of questions and kind of get a sense for the character of who he would be around. Is that, I think that's kind of fair when we're looking at sending our child out of our from underneath our own roofs and under the roof of someone else? Uh, is that relatable to those of us that raised our hands? What I can't understand, what boggles my mind to this day, and I, and I have prayed about it, and, and men and women wiser than me, more deeply spiritual than me, more engrossed in, in these kinds of thoughts than I have wrestled with this idea of the second person of the Godhead leaving out from under the roof of heaven, if you will, to come to this house, this third rock from the sun, this house, and, and as a baby being entrusted to flawed imperfect, poor, stumbling, swayed humans. What happened in that conversation, who knows when in the past, when the three members of the Godhead in, in 
discourse considered the plans that needed to be laid if their creation needed to be redeemed. And Jesus Christ said, I'll do it. That's on me. If mankind trips up and falls, because it's better that we grant them free will, we create them with free will, and they choose to love us, then we create automatons that by force are programmed that way. That's always better to love with free will than force. But there's risk. And Jesus said, I'm willing to bear that risk. I don't know. I don't know how that conversation went. Uh, The Bible tells us that the Father himself is love and loves you, not because of the propitiation, but he provided it because of the love. The love comes first and then the payment, not the other way around. So maybe there was a back and forth. Maybe, Maybe it was not you, but me. Maybe it was we can work something out. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But we do know that they were on the same page. The character of love is their existence, not just an emotion. And so they couldn't help themselves, they being the three members of the Godhead. They couldn't help themselves but say, we will pay the price if. Well, then that also meant that heaven had to give up something. And the Father, looking at the Son, had to say, who can I trust you to? What character qualities should they possess? How will they raise you? We've seen uh, the possibilities of free will being exercised in the pro and the con. What if I give you up and these people don't live out the way that we wish? They don't model our character, my character. Maybe they aren't good role models for you. Maybe they don't set a fine example, or their boundaries are too loose, or maybe they're so tight that it messes you up from the beginning. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. We're, we're kind of hypothesizing some of these things, but we do know that at some point, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in unity said, Jesus is going to go out from under the roof of heaven and under the roof of these humans. And so when the fulfillment of time came and Jesus was incarnate, when it was declared to Mary first, you know, this is going to happen to you, and, and praise God that as a teenager she had the faith to say, let it be done to me, Right? But we read in Matthew, and if you still have that open, we're going we're gonna to look at this because we're going to shift a little to a lesser known or a less talked about character in this story, if you will. And we're going to learn about Joseph. Because there was not just one single parent in this household, there were two. There was the wife and there was the husband. Generally speaking, when you look at the Bible and you're considering weightier matters, you look at what God has given a lot of real estate to in terms of number of words. The more real estate, typically the more weight, kind of the more attention you should put into it. So the fact that love and grace and mercy and, and obedience and, and, and uh, 
the coming salvation and so on. There's a lot of real estate to that. Pay attention to it. Joseph doesn't really get a lot of mentions in the Bible. He's there in Matthew. He's mentioned again in Luke. We can correctly infer that because Jesus gave Mary over to John while hanging on the cross that, that Joseph had already passed away because uh, that kind of responsibility only happened when the husband wasn't there and then the son is taking care of the mom. So we know that that was going on. We know that there were other brothers and sisters. Historically, it is believed that, that Joseph had been married before, that perhaps there were other children that were a part of this. So we're looking at like half uh, brothers and sisters of Jesus. Uh, so this was, I guess as you say, kind of a mixed family, kind of, kind of relatable to us, is it not? Uh, this, is, this is not, you know, when, when we look at these Bible characters, uh, this is just a side note, um, I'd love to find the relatability to them. Uh, I think too often we put them on such a pedestal and say, I can't be like that, or I can't ever, and I can't, I don't know, they, they, were, they were men and women like us. They had family dynamics like us. Uh, they had flaws and, and blemishes like us, and they had shining moments like we do. Uh, praise God for that. Praise God for the relatability. Like they say, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So let's look at Joseph. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is verse 18 of Matthew 1. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. There's a lot that can be said about Joseph in this. Let's place a little bit of historical context a little further into this story. One, today, uh, a teenage pregnancy, maybe out of wedlock, that happens. I believe it's happened throughout human history. It happens. We're familiar to it. Our society responds to it differently than they did differently than 50 years ago, but certainly differently than this time in history. For a girl to be pregnant, not married, and I, I keep saying girl because we, we don't think that Mary was very old. For a girl to be pregnant, not married, was deeply humiliating, deeply shameful, and would always equal ostracization, being kicked out of the social circle, if you will. And in the strictest reading of the, the Jewish laws, she could have been stoned. She could have been put to death. That's how serious this was. It was also, if we understand Joseph to be a just man, a just man, according to the cultural setting, a just man would have followed through with that. A just man would have understood that this was an immoral girl, that she had not controlled herself, that I'm okay, and he would have followed through on the legal steps. And he could have done it publicly. That was certainly within his right. Uh, that would have been just according to the time and the laws. Uh, he was well within all of those options. 
But the Bible describes him as being a just man unwilling to put her to shame. I believe we start to get a glimpse into how God views a just person. In our society today, I, I, as I look around, and in, in particular, I, I look at the, the filth that we find on social media. And it's, every study proves that it's not good for our social interactions, especially the younger they are when they're engaged in it. But we have a real interesting, and I, I, it seems to me as I've kind of worked through this and considered it, our society has flipped our attitudes of shame a little on its head. It is shameful now for me to stand on the pulpit or in public discourse and say, I believe a marriage definition is a man-woman union. And societally, it could be shameful to me that to say that I believe a man is only one thing and a woman is only one thing. And because there might be some differences over here that doesn't eradicate the two. You might be considered uh, to, be, to be shamed if you, if you happen to think that um, this old, ancient, dusty collection of just maybe some wise sayings, but mostly allegory and stories, should have a moral guidance in your life definitively. People might shame you for holding to that. That's superstitious. That's clearly outdated. Uh, you shouldn't do that. Get with the times. Don't you know that we are in the time of modernity and then post-modernity? But here's, here's, here's where we get it. For long-held, millennia-long-held traditions and understanding about the human nature or the, the role of the family or how societies have some necessary connection that holds them together instead of isolating into little compartments and little different things. And if you still hold to that, society believes that we should appropriately publicly shame you for holding on to traditional values. That's where the whole idea of the cancel culture comes in. If you hold to something traditional or you just simply read, let's just use what we read at the beginning of our praise and sharing. If you read, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou do all thy labor and all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. In it you shall not do any work, right? If you read that and you go, aha, I can count on a calendar, Sunday to Friday, one to six, I work. That's a part of the commandment. I work, but then I, that's God's. That's his. That's Sabbath day. If you read that and you want to practice it, and maybe you want to say, I'd like to guide my professional experience along those lines, it's proper to, to perhaps be publicly called out and get fired. If you hold to, again, the ideas of human nature, people might find out where you work and ask that you get fired if you, if you hold on to that. Or this is a real thing in society, public shaming if you hold traditional values. And then at the same time, what used to be understood as deeply shameful is now applauded and paraded and flaunted and is perverting our culture left, right, and center. Uh, for example, it's, it's not a secret that, that maybe husbands and wives have 
husband and wife activities. But we understood that that was kept private. Now, all of that private is not only brought out into the public, but all of the various options are also publicly demonstrated, and little kids are invited to observe. Well, we used to have laws that said that's child abuse, and now it's, it's proper. And, and No, no, it, it should be shameful to do those things in front of little kids. It should be. If we look at Joseph, though, Joseph being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, shows that he had a better, more heaven-sent understanding of what it is to be sensitive and empathetic to one another. He was well within his rights to publicly pull Mary out and divorce her and let everyone know that she was tainted. But he understood that if I'm going to love one another, if I'm going to practice the ideals that I've read in the Torah and the prophets, if I'm going to put that into practice, I cannot drag this girl through the mud because in his mind, maybe she had a momentary lapse in judgment. In exercising his restraint in shaming her, he demonstrates that he is a merciful man, that he is an empathetic man, that he understood what it would do to her, and he was willing to sacrifice his own rights in order to protect and, and help her out. I think that's a quality that we can learn for today. If we keep moving on, he resolved to divorce her quietly. That was how he was going to protect her from the shame. As he considered these things, this is verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. How many of us have had crazy dreams? Uh, you eat that pizza five minutes before you go to bed. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I've always heard this, that it, it's like spicy foods will do that. Spicy foods could upset, you know, maybe give you some, some dreams or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, I like spicy foods, but I've never had that. I, I know some family members of mine who have some wild dreams at times, and they wake up and they go, my goodness, how did that get there? Why am I thinking this? This, to me, seems, seems like Joseph could have woken up and thought that the falafel did not sit well. Or his, his flatbread or his fish or whatever he had ate the night before. Um, maybe the olive oil had turned. I don't know. Because maybe, maybe he could have woken up and gone, doesn't make sense if she is a virgin how this because... Maybe that verse from Isaiah was only talking about the prophet. And there are some who actually do propose that idea. It didn't mean Mary. It only meant the, during the time of Isaiah. It could have. 
But because we understand that God himself describes him as a just man, uh, there are not very many men that get that description in, in the Bible. Joseph knew in one way or another, and I would, I would love to be able to ask him, how did you know the difference between that dream and maybe other dreams? I think that's a great question for me. How did you know about this dream? But he, he woke up from the dream, from the sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. This tells us that Joseph was a man not foreign to the word of God. Joseph was a man who knew the words from heaven and had been blessed or had exercised and practiced his discernment in knowing that this was from God and not from a different source. This was a man who had put into his life the, the writings of the prophets and the understandings of Moses, and he had prayed and he had gone to, to Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah, and he had, he had communicated with his, with his God, with the God of his fathers and his grandfathers and his great-grandfathers, so that when the time was crucial, he understood that this word was from God and not a different source. We can put into practice this very thing. You don't have to have it spelled out black and white, but we know in how he responded that he had set the foundation for the crucial moment. Are you setting your foundation for a coming crucial moment? How are you in your devotions? How are you in studying the Old Testament, uh, the first five books, the Pentateuch? How are you in reading even the minor prophets? We, we just finished Wednesday night reading through three of the minor prophets. The last one was Amos. It was the first time I had read verse by verse all the way through. I think most of our group said the same thing. Powerful book. Often overlooked, except for maybe two or three verses that are kind of like picked out and used here and there. Great book. Are you reading the minor prophets? Are you sprinkling in some Daniel and Revelation to flex your cognitive muscles. You got to wrestle with some of those. Are you praying? And whether you're on your knees or still laying in bed when, when conscience finally breaks through, maybe you're praying as you wash your dishes or as you walk around your neighborhood. All of those are great times to audibly or in your own mind, talk with your Heavenly Father. Get to know Him when He talks back to you. Listen for those words and, and ask to be sensitive for those impressions. Pray for the discernment so that when doors open or when doors close, you know that it's God saying, this is my will. How are you in setting and building that foundation? The Bible tells us that the good, comfortable times that one, one day, I believe one day soon, are going to come to an end. We're going to hit a tough time. You're going to hit a hard road. And it might not be right before the eastern sky splits. Maybe you're going to have a family member this week come to you and say, I don't know what to do. I am at a loss. I'm at my wit's end. I just, 
I just learned that someone else is having these ideations or these feelings or this sin that they've hid for 15 years. That doesn't have to be when prophecy ends. That can be in your life tomorrow when the crucial crossroads come. Are you, letting, are you laying out your foundation now in the Word of God and conversing with your Heavenly Father for those times? Well, Joseph clearly did that. And our final point of view from Joseph or about Joseph in verses 24 and 5, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Not only was Joseph sensitive to the shame that might come to Mary and humbly gave up his rights in order to protect her. Not only was he sensitive to the word of God, but he was also sensitive to his responsibility in obedience by faith. The angel had spoken. He had already discerned this was from on high and not his own imaginations. And he lived it out. He didn't just say those are fine words and they make a whole lot of sense or they make me feel good. He didn't say, well, well, maybe that works in this instance, but maybe in an, maybe I'll stay married to her, but I'll keep her in the back room. In obedience by faith to the word of God, he took Mary as his wife knowing that the child was not his, and only by faith could he accept that it was of the Holy Spirit. This was a man on a pillar of faith. Because I can promise you, in my mind, if I'm engaged to a fine lady, and all of a sudden she goes, guess what, honey? I don't, I don't know if I would yell, I don't know if I would slam doors, but I would certainly probably walk away. There's a 99 plus percent chance that I would walk away. If you are surprised by it, and, and you knew it wasn't yours because, virgin, he had to believe by faith that she was faithful in their relationship that this was of God, and that he was to play an active part in it. And just so you know, without the credit, he is not credited in the genealogy. He gets small real estate in, in the Bible verses. He comes and then he goes. Um, and in this, in this culture, that would not have been the first response for a man of his I guess, position in society. Just being a man, he had a position. But he took Mary as his wife. He knew her not till she had given birth, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph was a man of faith. Joseph was a man of the word of God, and Joseph was a man of empathy to others. And here's where I would say that he even has a little bit of a type of Christ in him. It was deeply shameful for him to be associated with 
her. He was always going to be the man who married the woman who had the child out of wedlock. And in his society, he he was not high on that ladder, but maybe he was a couple rungs up. He would have fallen a couple of rungs. He was willing to be shamed and bear that shame with her. He was willing to humble himself to the point of a servant in this relationship with Mary and and this understanding that it was from heaven. We read that description about another man, very important to the Bible. And I find it absolutely fascinating that Joseph was a man of this quality of character. And as we consider, as we reflect on the birth of Jesus, a little bit before now and for the next coming couple of weeks, as we reflect on that gift from heaven, as we remember about the faith of Mary, and she was also a deeply faithful woman, as we look at how perhaps other people responded with the shepherds or with the wise men from afar, or even if you consider how Herod reacted to this news of a challenger to his throne, don't forget to consider Joseph and wonder if perhaps his qualities should also be found in our own lives. Because when we are being considered of heaven, whether or not to be trusted with a rather important mission, God is looking for men and for women who can be described as just, as merciful, as empathetic, as sensitive to the word of God, and deeply faithful. As you consider the gift from heaven, I would encourage you to consider the background character, if you will, Joseph, and his point of view, and wonder if perhaps some of his qualities could be lived out in our lives, so that God might consider you an appropriate roof to place his mission under. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the examples of men and women throughout history that you have, through inspiration, recorded not only for their benefit, but for ours today. Lord, I pray that we as a people would be found to be faithful. I pray that we as a people would be found to be gracious and humble and, and merciful and empathetic to those that are around us. Far too many people don't find that in today's society, and I pray that we would be that. I pray that we would be a people of your word. Lord, we look forward to a time when knowing you through your word can finally come together with knowing you in person. Lord, we pray that the time would come soon when you would come back to claim us as your own and take us home. And I pray that until then, Your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts and our lives, convert us from something cold and stony into warm and loving, that we might be prepared to go home with you. Lord, we pray all of these things, and we ask your blessing on us the rest of today, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.